Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn. And I'm Andrea Ballard. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, rise and shine, we're kicking off a month of breakfast bakes. We're talking muffins, coffee cakes, scones, biscuits, and much more. Mostly sweet, but also savory. Today, we'll scare ourselves silly with a recipe for Queen Amon, talk about big batch breakfast bakes for those like us who barely make it out of the house alive in the morning, and review our creme brulee from last week, because in a pinch, it makes a great breakfast too. So pour yourself a cup of coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Stefan, great job saying big batch <laughs> breakfast bakes. <laughs> oh my gosh, you know, I almost can't even you compliment know. you. I've been practicing all week, so thank you. Big batch breakfast bakes. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> you know, I write that intro. I should maybe make it a little easier on myself, but what do you know? <laughs> well, and thanks to all of our listeners who have been so great about sharing preheated with their friends and family. We appreciate it if you participated in tripod month and um, tweeted about our podcast. We love it if you share our Facebook post, and we've really been enjoying all of the activity in our Facebook group. Thank you for introducing yourself, telling us where you're from, and giving us a little bit of your baking background. Yeah, that's been really fun. And you know, tripod month is a great opportunity. You don't have to be super even high tech. You know, I had a friend who during tripod month, she showed her mother how to download the podcast on her iPhone. You know, just if yeah. you've got a friend or, or somebody in your family who hasn't done that, would like to know how, that's a great way to to share about us, too. But word of mouth, Facebook, Twitter, however you get the word out, we really appreciate it. Jam in your earphones into someone else's head, whatever yes. you need to do. <laughs> there you go. Or Stranger on the bus. Right. Yes. Um, another fun thing I did this week was to go and see the redone Beauty and the Beast. Oh, we saw it too. What did you think? Well, I loved it. I, um, well, I love musicals, first of all. So, yes. and the fact that it's the same music and they didn't change it, I was really happy about. I was nervous about that too. Yeah. Um, you know, once I have a song stuck in my head, that's the way I want to hear it forevermore. <laughs> of course. Yes. <laughs> and especially for a story old as time. You know, I didn't I didn't want it redone. Do you mean a tale as old as time, Andrea? Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get right to work on my lyrics. Um, I enjoyed the acting. I, you know, my daughter and her friend loved the actors and they loved Emma Watson. I could not get her out of my head as Hermione from Harry Potter. That's what happens when you play a character for so long. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, that was a little bit harder for me. Um, I, I kind of feel like she almost had that little sort of Hermione smirk a lot instead of what I think of as more of the Belle kind of innocence. So I struggled a little bit with that. I also found myself strangely disappointed by the real life prince. I thought the beast was more attractive. Which is my problem with the animated version too, frankly. He's just kind of boring looking when he finally, you know, 
It's kind of like no man can live up to the beast, and Disney does such a good beast. Yes. So, so you know, my question is: Was that beast? Was that all CGI, or was that was he really in like makeup and and costume sometime? Or I I need to research more on that. If it was if it was purely CGI, I thought it was incredible. Oh, I assumed it was makeup and costume. So that is a good question. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I I I fully fell into that. Those were his eyes, and that's what we were seeing. And but you're right. Everything can probably be CGI these days. I just thought it was so gorgeous. We saw it in the IMAX 3D. And if you are thinking about going and want to splurge, I recommend it. It was just magnificent. It was it was gorgeous. It was so beautiful. I actually found myself getting more emotional than I thought I would at the at the end. And and that was okay. Interesting. And you know, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen the show, but. When the when the beast is shot, which you know is coming if you yeah. watch the movie as yeah. many times as I've done, I still just jumped out yes. of my seat. And yeah, sure enough, I started crying right away. I know. <laughs> I know. So very well done. Disney magic at its finest. I really loved it. And so did my kids. So yeah. Well, we are talking about breakfast bakes this month. And this is a month, Andrea, that we have been planning on actually from the start when we made our huge list of of different topics we wanted to cover. We knew that breakfast bakes was on our list. We're going to briefly wrap up our creme brulee from custards and puddings last month. And, you know, uh, mostly that's because I, I think you had texted me and said, here's my creme brulee for breakfast. And I thought, well, why not? <laughs> well, you really gave me an out. I I was not at all thinking about it as a breakfast item. I just was eating it at breakfast time. And you wrote back and said something like, well, why not? It's mostly eggs. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you're right. It's eggs, which I eat at breakfast. It's cream, which I put in my coffee. Now, um, granted, the sugar is something I wouldn't (laughs) normally (laughs) having at breakfast. But, hey, no, I I thought it worked out really well. So um, I picked that Tom Fitzmorris recipe, and I – thought that Antone did a perfect job in our Facebook group of describing the way a creme brulee is. I think he said the sugar makes a little lake on top, and he loves it when you have to crack through it like you're going ice fishing. Yes, yes. Yeah, he's great at that imagery. And he also loves a creme brulee, so that was high praise indeed. (laughs) Well, and if you uh, go to our Facebook page, you will see my photo of my creme brulee, and you will notice it does not look like a lake. It's more like tiny little islands. I... um, I started sprinkling my brown sugar on top, and um, I just couldn't do the amount of brown sugar that was required to form a, you know, a thick surface. It just was so much. Yes. And did you, Andrea, did you do individual ramekins as the recipe is written? I did. Um, So actually, I did my sous vide three ways, my sous vide, sorry, my creme brulee three ways. So I will uh, tell you what I did. So I did the recipe as it was written. Um, You know, the... I skipped the first step, which he says to spread the brown sugar out and um, put it in the microwave to remove excess moisture. I didn't do that piece. Um, I just didn't think it was necessary. Okay. But I did combine the cream and the egg yolks and the sugar, and I, you know, heated the cream very gently and added the vanilla and then, you know, put the sugar mixture in there. And I did it in um, two different types of baking dishes. So one, I have extremely shallow creme brulee dishes. And I'm so happy my husband found these recently because I had forgotten that I had them and they're perfect for creme brulee. So I had four of those. And I would say in those, the depth of the custard 
is maybe a half an inch at most. They're okay. Very, oh, they're very, very shallow. They're, okay. They're, they're almost like if you think about an ashtray. They, okay. They, they, but they I will look. not with my creme brulee. So. Right. <laughs> or maybe like the bottom of a planter. Okay. Yes. Okay. They're that shallow. And so I put the custard in there and put the brown sugar on top. I also used some ramekins that were much deeper um, and did, you know, the same recipe with those. So those I put in the oven with the water bath. And then for my third batch, I did a recipe in the sous vide. And we're going to talk more about the sous vide when we move over to the Gadget Garage. But let me just say that um, the baking oven method and the recipe that we posted on our preheated podcast webpage is the method that turned out the best for me. So, Okay. Okay. Yeah. You had kind of three different things going on, and I'm going to throw in a fourth because I didn't have enough standard ramekins. And I, what I did have was a giant ramekin, which is, I think, technically a souffle dish. It just looks like a ramekin like a, right. a big one. Yeah. And so I ended up making what I called my big brulee. It was a two-quart, <laughs> it was a two-quart souffle dish. It was probably four or five inches deep. And that worked really well. I had the same issue though with I felt too much brown sugar, even in that big vessel. I thought it was too much. So that would just be a note for a future recipe to scale back a little. I did dry it out in the microwave. Frankly, I couldn't tell if that okay. did anything or not because again my my major takeaway with that brown sugar was there's just too much of it here oh, okay. um and you'll rarely hear me say there's too much sugar on my dessert but <laughs> there was too much sugar on my dessert so the one tip i would have for folks who want to make this in a larger vessel my cooking time did increase and i think the original recipe for the smaller ramekins says um you're cooking it until it's set but still kind of soft which is about 30 minutes and then he suggests it might take another at least 15 and mine took about another 7 to 10 um so i was just checking it periodically also it was little bit softer in the very dead center but it didn't it didn't it wasn't it wasn't uncooked by any means it didn't put me off it was just you know firmer toward the edges and a little bit softer in the middle didn't bother me but if you're going to do a big one maybe don't be surprised if that happens as well yeah, with my shallow dishes, it took 25 minutes at 325. With my deeper dishes, I did it an additional 15 minutes. And okay. both, of, both of those set up really nicely, and I was I was happy with that. Yeah. Um, also, I used the, I've mentioned this before, the Vanilla Crush from Sonoma Syrup. So you have. I wondered if you were going to do that. What a great application. Yeah, I think this is one of those good times where vanilla is such a flavor in this that you want to use the very best that you can find. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but I love just the standard creme brulee. And actually, you might recall uh, when you and I met on the 24th floor, uh, there was a steakhouse around the corner from us. And um, Was I that off Fleming's? No, it was the Brooklyn. And oh, I don't, yes, of course. Well, there were several there. steakhouses, apparently. Right. <laughs> yeah, it might still be there, but w we would often eat lunch there, and yeah. they had a standard creme brulee. Yeah. And I got it every single time, and I loved it. I thought they did a good job. And then they changed their menu 
And the creme brulee now came in three miniature ramekins, and every one was a different flavor. Like there was a lavender one, yeah. mm-hmm. and there was a, you know, orange chocolate one, mm-hmm. and then maybe still the plain traditional vanilla. And I, while I liked the concept of it in tasting it, it was like, no, I just like the standard. I'm a purist also. I feel like that was really a trend. You know, I guess that would have been like the early 2000s right. uh, when that was happening. And you'll see a lot of variations. I I almost without fail, if there is a classic creme brulee on a dessert menu, I'll order it. Like just like no question mm-hmm. asked. Even if Me I too. was not planning on having dessert, if I see that, I, you know, first of all, I feel like supporting the original that I love so much. And, and I just yes. I love it. So I thought this was a, a really well done recipe. I had no no issues or problems with it. I felt it did take kindly to my putting it in the in the big brulee dish. Yeah. Um, the only thing I noticed and I know we had texted back and forth about it a little is originally in the recipe um, underneath the ingredient list, it says preheat oven to 350. But then later in the instructions, it says bake at 325. So I I was just still stymied. I read through a couple of times. You would thought maybe the 350 was for the brown sugar, but you do the brown sugar in the microwave. So that didn't set well with me. Um, I ended up just doing it at 325. I thought, you know, low and slow for a custard sounds, sounds better to me. So I guess that would be my recommendation. 325 is what I went with and and worked fine. And I've developed a new theory because these are the kind of things that pop into my head at like 2 in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) So when you first texted me, I just immediately responded and said, oh, that's for the brown sugar because I hadn't read through the brown sugar instruction enough. I had seen that he was drying out the brown sugar, so I just assumed he was doing it in the oven, which, of course, actually makes no sense at all because it would have just completely melted. Yeah, right. Um, But, yeah, so one morning about 2 in the morning, you know, I suddenly realized, oh, that instruction wasn't for the brown sugar. So he did say start at 350 and then lower to 325. I wonder what that's about. Well, when I went to make it, I had a new theory, which is – A lot of times people don't, you know, preheat their ovens long after they start baking, you know, so the not giving themselves enough time. Thank you. Like if you set it to 325, the buzzer goes off for 325 and they pop their item into the oven. And I'm thinking that since he wants a water bath, what he and the way he describes the water bath is to put the hot water into the pan and then put the pan into the oven. So you you might have the oven door open for quite a while because you're very carefully placing this water bath into the oven. Okay. And that's kind of the number one reason to continue to preheat your to continue to heat your oven after it's hit the preheat mark is because every time you open the door, I think it loses something like five to 10 degrees. Sure. Okay. That makes sense. that's my theory is that he's saying do 350 because you're going to have the door open. And then once you get the water bath all set and your custard's in there, go ahead and turn it down to 325. And drop it down. Okay. Yeah. He didn't spell that out. But I also baked mine at 325. I thought that was safer as well with a custard. Okay. But Andrea's point here is a good one that go ahead and and preheat your oven at 350. You're going to have the door open while you're carefully 
getting your water bath set up and then go ahead and drop it down to 325 for your actual baking time. Yeah. As long as you remember to do the drop it down. <laughs> That's so, awesome. I and also, just, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say I, I had um, leftovers, which, you know, as you know, I was eating for breakfast. So I didn't put the sugar on all of them. I just did the the sugar on the ones that I was baking. And I just used the broiler. I could not find my handy-dandy little kitchen torch I anywhere. saw that. I saw that on yeah. Facebook. Oh, I know. So right. I don't know. Um, I think my husband is disappointed. He thinks he recalls me telling him to get rid of it at some point. So we're we're now wishing we had it, but we don't. So well, back to Antone on Facebook, and he had mentioned you could pick one up at the fisheries supply for pretty cheap. So you <laughs> might just <laughs> might just run out there. And did you broiler or did you torch? I broilered, not a problem. Yeah, again, just a little too much crust um, for me. I didn't feel like it it melted all the way because it was too thick but um it still tasted great i had some leftovers also they were delicious 24 hours a day and just a shout out to my sweet husband uh, the day before i made this he ran the self-cleaning oven cycle on our oven and you know that sounds like it should be so innocuous and, and not much of a task but our oven at least once that cycle's done and it it leaves this just you know it basically heats it up so high it's burning all the stuff yes. that's in there and then you really have to spend quite a bit of time scrubbing out the the ash and um yes. so thanks to him i had a beautiful sparkling perfectly clean almost brand new oven to make my brulee in Oh, what a nice tree. That yeah, was. I ha- I haven't been able to do that yet because my smoke alarm goes off and it won't stop <laughs> because it is, it's just literally burning everything. Yeah, in it just gets so. and you have to kind of choose a day that, you know, you want the kitchen to be hot because, yeah, it, it really heats up the house. So <laughs> so that is Tom Fitzmorris's creme brulee recipe. That is a link on our website, preheatedpodcast.com. And that was a great a great brulee. I would definitely put it in the standby category. Me too. Two thumbs up. Well, we are going to move over to, as Stefan said earlier, a recipe that scares us silly. Um, <laughs> that is the Queen oh. Amman. Um, we chose the recipe from Bon Appetit, and we will have it posted on our website and on our Pinterest and our Facebook. Um, I first ran into this dessert when I was at a summer camp in Seattle. My daughter was at her summer camp, so I was staying at a bed and breakfast on Queen Anne, and they had a little bakery right down the hill called Le Rêve, a little French bakery, and I would go there every morning and get my coffee, and I kept seeing this dessert, you know, pastry that just really appealed to me. But oddly enough, I don't like sweet things in the morning. So I, okay. it's not that I dislike sweet pastries. I just don't like them in the morning. Okay. And so I would always go back in the afternoon and they would be sold out. And finally, one day the lady said, you know, these sell out every day, usually by 9 or 10 a.m. So if you want one, you need to get it now. <laughs> and I, I oh, Okay. So I did buy it and um, tried it later in the day, and I was like, where has this been all my life? <laughs> so I'm glad you've actually had this, because one of the reasons this recipe scares me is I have never, to my knowledge, had one. And 
when we were kind of teasing this recipe um, in last episode, I also said it was like a cinnamon croissant. No, Stefan, read the recipe. It is not like a cinnamon croissant. It's maybe like a croissant because as I'm reading through, it's you're making kind of like a homemade puff pastry. But there's no cinnamon involved. So get that out of your mind. Yeah, do um, not worry. But you're very much right. It is like a croissant in terms of the dough. If you look at the meaning of the word, it comes from um, Brittany and in France. And it I think it literally translates into butter cakes. Yep. So they're more like a um, just a little delightful, denser <laughs> form of a croissant. I, I do think of it very much that way, a little butter cake. And just a note, too, um, we had talked last episode about about dates on products. Here's one we didn't mention, but it's yeast. And that is one you really do want to pay attention to because if your yeast oh, yeah. is past its its date, you may be compromising on the rise and you don't want to don't want to do that. Don't mess around. Um, so make sure your yeast is active and well within its expiration date here. Really good point. Um, the other thing that's really important if you bake along with this on this recipe is the quality of your butter. Oh, yeah. And so um, because this dish is basically butter <laughs> yes, as one of its primary ingredients, do go ahead and splurge for the European butter, whether that's a Kerrygold or a Plugra, something with a high butter fat content. And this is one of those times when you actually want salted butter. The salt is a key flavor in this dessert, which I, I keep calling it a dessert. It's a pastry. Um but it's so decadent. It feels like a dessert to me. And it really is one of those times where you want the extra salt. So don't don't worry about finding unsalted premium butter. Go ahead and get the regular premium butter that has the salt in it. That's a great tip. And I've also noticed that grocery stores in Seattle vary quite wildly on that price of that European butter. So if you are just out and about and have time to comparison shop, um, for example, our Safeway has that for almost $1.50 less than some of our other grocery stores. So that's where I'm going to stock up on mine. Yes. And I get mine at Costco where yep. you get okay. a three pack for $8. Oh, um, fantastic. Yeah. And uh, I think Trader Joe's sells it for a lesser price as well. So okay. another, another place to check. Um, and then the other thing is it needs special equipment of two six-cup jumbo muffin pans. I did a pretty thorough reconnaissance at my value village, couldn't find it, so ended up buying these. Um, I got two of them for about $9 on Amazon. That seemed very reasonable. And my children are now thrilled because they believe this is the size all cupcakes will now come in out of my kitchen. <laughs> Which or is like the size of a baby head. They're huge. So. Well, I was thinking, or your famous chocolate chip breakfast muffins. All of a sudden, your kids are going to be thinking, hey, this is going to make our breakfast pretty yeah, exciting. They think they have seen the future, and they're really pleased. Um, <laughs> a final note is that this is not something you can just make on the spur of the moment. It has to rise a few times, including an overnight stay in the fridge. So plan ahead for your time. Maybe work backward from when you want to serve that and um, just give yourself some time. Yeah, that's a really good point. It recalls me back to when you tackled baklava and you made the point about on the day you're making baklava, that's all you're doing yes. is making baklava. I'm not sure this one is going to be quite as intensive in terms of labor, but uh, because I think a lot of the time periods are chilling and resting, but certainly any time where you're, um, you know, kneading and then resting and then folding and then resting and then chilling and then resting, you know, it's going to end up taking uh, pretty much all day. So a nice rainy day when you're stuck at home sounds to me like a good time to tackle this one. 
Yeah, homemade bread. I'm I'm equal parts just so excited and um, I'm nervous too, and especially because I have never had this, so I don't know quite what I'm going for. But that's that's the whole thrill of it too. So I'm really yeah. looking forward. I'm wondering if you should try and um, do a little reconnaissance before you make it, just so you know what you're shooting for. It would probably be wise. Andrea, it probably would. I mean, mm. I'm I'm thinking that you should be able to easily get that uh, in Seattle. There's there's a lot of places um, where you can find this. I I think I even read online that Starbucks owns a chain of bakeries. I think the name of it is Le Boulange or Boulangerie, and that they serve them in that particular chain. So okay, not so in the regular super easy to find but, then. Okay, got it. Okay. I All mean, right. sounds like that would be important. So this is the Queen Amon recipe from Bon Appetit. We'll throw up a link on preheatedpodcast.com in our show notes. And we hope you tackle this one with us. Let us know how it goes. Yeah. Well, we are on to a category that we've been thinking about for quite a while, and it is the Big Batch Breakfast Bakes. This actually was inspired by preheater loyal listener Anne-Marie, who everyone will recognize as the very talented artist who provides our theme music for the show. And she has to leave her home very early in the morning to head to work. And she was saying to me, I'd really like to know what people do for kind of grab and go breakfasts or breakfasts I can make a bunch of in advance so I can just take with me and... Um, and, you know, head out to work and then eat when I get there. And so we're both going to share a few and some things that I do for make-ahead breakfast. Um, I make a big batch of steel-cut oats, which are also called pinhead oats. And you have to cook them for a little bit longer than your regular oatmeal. They also have a little more fiber, a little... I don't know, I find the texture a little bit um, more pleasing, almost like a porridge. So you can do a big batch of those on the weekend and then just scoop up a serving, pop it in the microwave or on your stovetop with a little milk to warm those up. I find that works great. Um, likewise, I do a morning glory baked oatmeal. So if you know a morning glory muffin, which has got like mm, walnuts or pecans and carrots and apple and sometimes raisins. Then that's a baked oatmeal dish, like a baked casserole with all of those ingredients. Same thing. Then I have it in my casserole dish, just portion out my piece every morning. Frittata cups are another thing. You can do those in your muffin tins. Just pop those out, stick them in the freezer. Muffins. I do a soda bread. Breakfast burritos. You can make those ahead, stick them in the freezer. These are all things that I rely on. I find that my mornings go much smoother when I can lay out on my breakfast, know what I'm serving, and have it decided ahead of time. Andrea, mm -hmm. do you have any others that you also do? I have a couple, some designed for me and my breakfast and some for when I'm entertaining and we have guests spending the night. So, um, you know, a lot of times when people come over to our house, since they have to drive to get here, they'll spend the night. And so I want something the next morning so that I can feed people. But usually I don't want to do any work. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> No, and I certainly don't want to kind of wake up and immediately, you know, fling myself into the kitchen and start cooking. So I have been making a ham and cheese casserole that you can prepare ahead of time. You can put it in a casserole dish and throw it in your freezer. It uses um, frozen hash browns yeah. and, you know, shredded cheese and diced ham. And you can throw in whatever you want. Onions, sometimes I'll throw in um, green peppers or, you know, whatever sort of leftover vegetables you have in your fridge. 
And it's just kind of your traditional breakfast casserole, but it's really nice. You can wake up and put it in the oven. It needs about 45 minutes to an hour to bake. And then you have this hot breakfast that people really like. So that's fun. When I'm cooking for us, I do overnight oatmeal. So this is a refrigerator dish, and I first learned about it in the PCC, the um, Natural Food Co-op in Seattle. They put out a flyer every month and have some great recipes in it. And I saw this. I thought, oh, I'm going to try this. It looks really good. So you take your um, regular oatmeal, not the steel cut like you talked about, but just your regular oatmeal and your, your rolled oats, I should say. And do like a third a cup rolled oats, a third a cup Greek yogurt, a third a cup coconut milk, or of course you could do any other sort of plant-based milk, almond milk or hemp milk. And then maybe a little bit of maple syrup, maybe a little bit of vanilla, um, some blueberries. Again, it's kind of up to you what you want to mix in there. You mix it up. You put it in the wide mouth uh, mason jars. I use the one cup size and pop those in your fridge. And overnight, the milk and the yogurt so into the oats. And so you have a nice oatmeal in the morning. I've and done those too. They're yummy. I think they're great. You eat them cold. Um, I like when I first read this article, they said, you know, the, the words refrigerator oatmeal are not terribly appetizing. So we're going to call this overnight oatmeal. And I, I agree, it sounds more appetizing when you call it that. Another mix in that I've done is pumpkin puree. Oh, and then do like a little pumpkin pie spice or brown sugar or maple syrup also. That's yummy. And then you're also getting a vegetable in the morning or, you know, (laughs) you can feel really proud of yourself. (laughs) Oh, I like that one. You know, speaking Uh, of your mason jars, one I just ran across in an issue of Women's Day was uh, called scrambled scrambled egg jars. And same kind of concept, you um, take your one cup about um, mason jar, and then you just crack in your egg, kind of scramble it in the jar. And then they have like herbs, cheese, different things you can put in there. Um, You know, diced ham, diced other lunch meat, um, tomato, and then you put it in the jar and you microwave it. And so that would be a great thing to grab and go and you kind of get a a little baked egg. Um, You could do a bunch of those ahead of time and and just grab and go. So I think there's... Yeah, lots That's of a great idea. I'm a big fan of the make ahead. And I love using the mason jars. I love being able to see what's in the things I make ahead. Otherwise, they kind of disappear into my freezer. And then they become this mysterious, you know, sometimes I don't label things because I think, well, of course, I'm not going to forget that. And then, yeah. you know, I four weeks later, out. you're green. Right. Uh-huh. The other day, I asked my husband, like, what is this? And he said, I think that's duck fat. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, thank you. Goodness, I didn't use it for what I was, you know, thinking. I thought it was a bit of cream or coconut milk. Oh, oh, yeah. Mm, Yeah. mm. I just think there's something that feels a little more special about it when it's in the little glass jar, too, Mm -hmm. rather than just kind of your plain old Tupperware. Yeah, it just feels special. Whatever you can do to help yourself in the morning, um, that always gets my vote. So, yeah, some good ideas. And if you have others, Facebook fans, uh, please let us know what you are cooking up in big batch quantities for your breakfasts. Yeah, whether it's for guests or to make your own life easier. We're interested in both of those. Yes. Um, Our last uh, big batch breakfast bake that I want to share actually is going to take us into our gadget garage. So we're going to walk on over there and I'm going to talk about my latest kitchen obsession, which is called the sous vide. I have been waiting so long for this gadget garage, Andrea. (laughs) 
I texted Stefan maybe two or three months ago with, uh, do you have one of these and what do you think about them? And the reason I got curious about it, my husband went to uh, listener Craig's house. Uh, Craig was the guy we interviewed back on episode 11. And um, my husband had a brisket that he made using the sous vide. So the sous vide is basically uh, translated as water bath. And so it is a device or an instrument you place into a bath of water. It used to be something only in commercial kitchens. And, um, you know, in the commercial kitchen, the bath itself is like heated and, and, you know, a big electronic unit. What they've started making for home use is something that looks to me like a hand mixer, one of those immersion blenders. Okay, right. Sort of like a tall stick. And you plug it in, you put it into a pot of water, you heat the water to whatever temperature you specify through your um, Bluetooth app that communicates with your sous vide. My uh, gosh, the future is now. <laughs> I know. And that's, that's I, I think you can buy ones where you actually do it on the unit, but it seems like all the new ones are Bluetooth enabled. So that's what I went ahead and got. And then you cook the item to a you know, particular temperature as specified by the sous vide recipe. And then you usually finish it off either with your kitchen torch or on a cast iron grill. So that was my husband had had this brisket. <clears throat> and brisket has long been what we have called my my white whale. I have been trying to perfect brisket for two to three years now. Oh. And I haven't, yeah, I haven't quite gotten it. And I won't go into the details there, but um, it's it's a little bit been my obsession. And finally, using the sous vide, I was able to get the brisket the way I wanted, where it was still tender and moist in the middle, but it had the smoke ring on the outside and was perfectly cooked. So we got the sous vide, and we now sous vide, I would say, at least two to three times a week. We've done duck. We've done lamb chops. We do our hamburgers. We do tri-tip. Um I did the creme brulee. That was my first fail in the sous vide, and okay. it was it was really interesting. Um, I do not want to blame myself <laughs> because I tried really hard. The sous vide recipes in general are great about going into massive detail and pictures and videos and all that sort of thing. The one thing they didn't tell me, um, it was almost like a canning process. So you screw the, you know, lid on your mason jar until it's fingertip tight and then drop it into the sous vide. Well, my creme brulees weren't heavy enough. And so I dropped them in and then they immediately floated to the top. They oh, flipped over. So they're like it bouncing all, all around out. in there. They were mm. bouncing around. It was leaking and it was just a big mess. Um, I, I finally weighted them down, but by that point they were really messy. Yeah. And when I pulled them out of the sous vide, I did eat it just to see, um, and it tasted like sweet scrambled eggs. Okay. That it's like, it just got too much movement in there. So that one didn't work out, but my breakfast item I do in the sous vide that works out really well is, um, some people, you might've had this at Starbucks. It's called their sous vide egg bites. Okay. And it's either egg whites and cheese and roasted peppers, or you can do, you know, whole eggs, including the yolk and cheese and whatever vegetable you have. I mean, you can really do whatever you want. But basically, it's like, just like you were talking about stuff, and you kind of mix that up, almost like a if you were going to make a scramble, yep. mix, mix it up in your mason jar, but then you put it in the sous vide and cook it. And because it's that water bath and that low and slow, you end up with this very fluffy and delicate egg dish that I just absolutely love. So I'll do those ahead of time and then just pop them in the freezer or in in the uh, refrigerator. 
And then you can just heat them up real quickly when you're ready to eat them. So I understand how you would do something like the creme brulee in a glass vessel, but how do you do something big like a big piece of meat? Do you put it in a bag? What do you what what do you put so it in? You do, and you do put it in a, a bag, in a plastic bag. And this was my first objection when my husband started talking about the sous vide, and I looked it up, and I, and I I right away sent Craig a text, and I said. Maybe I'm not getting this, but this appears to me that I'm boiling meat in a plastic bag, and that is not appetizing right, to me. Right, right. And he said, no, I mean, conceptually, you're right. I mean, you do put the meat in a plastic bag, and then it goes into this hot water, but it does not taste like boil-in-a-bag meat. I mean, and, and I agree now that I've done it multiple times. I mean, okay. it just it's kind of, I, I think, like the secret weapon of commercial kitchens. You know, it's how they can have items um, – come out so quickly is because you've you've done the pre-cook. You know, so for yeah. example, tonight we're having hamburgers and I've already put the burgers in their patties. I've put them in their sous vide bag and then I'm going to sous vide them for, you know, an hour to an hour and a half, at which point they'll be done. And they can just sit there in that water at that temperature until I'm ready to cook them and finish them off on the cast iron grill, which will take, you know, one minute on each side. And and mostly you're doing that just to add some kind of char and some flavor or color too. Color, yeah, okay. color okay. and maybe a little bit of texture, you know, kind of a, a little bit of uh, a little bit of a crust. I'm fascinated to see what else you can turn out with this dessert wise. Mm -hmm. If maybe like a cheesecake or I'm just, you know, like yeah. a, I'm, I'm really my mind is going all kinds of places with this. Yeah, cheese, cheesecake was one of the items on the list. Um, so I, after the disappointing results with the creme brulee, I kind of backed off because there's nothing worse than like using nine egg yolks and then just seeing your dish get ruined. You know, for sure, it's just, for sure. Yeah, ugh, such a disappointing yeah, feeling. Yeah. So I thought, well, I want to maybe get some more experience before I go off and try and do this again. Well, maybe there's some listeners out there also who have some good sous vide experience and can fill Andrea um, in on their tips, too. I would love that. Yeah. So if you've got any sous vide dessert recipes, let us know what they are. We would love to see them. Um, and if you've got a gadget you, you're you obsessed with and you would like us to review it in the Gadget Garage, please let us know. And Stefan and I will be happy to take a look and see if it's something we have in our kitchens and we can test out for you. That'd be really fun. Yes. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get to the dishes. Join us next week as we continue our breakfast bakes with Breakfast Biscotti from Dory Greenspan. Cookies for breakfast? We're in. We'll also have some new reviews in the Preheated Podcast Book Club. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, on Facebook and Pinterest, and you can download us on iTunes, where we'd love it if you subscribe to the show and give us a review, both of which will help other people find us. Until next time, thanks for listening and sweet dreams.
Preheated is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stephen Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.